I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron-specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month, and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hello, everybody. Okay, so here's a Just Jamie and my thoughts episode. So as you know, if you've been following me for any length of time, you know that I am vehemently against the overscheduled child. I am vehemently against the culture of busy and staying crazy busy. I think we should all be slowing down, allowing more time for rest, allowing more time for boredom. But also the more overscheduled somebody is, the more transitions you have to deal with. And this is a hallmark of our pandemic baby now toddlers, right? Is that transitions seem to be the hottest point, mostly because these kids didn't have to do a lot of them and now they do. There's also the social situations that are proving to be very overwhelming for a child who was formed in lockdown. So, and I mean formed, you know, like one to two years, not they're always forming. I would like to think as humans, we're always forming ourselves. Yes, but their critical first couple of years were in lockdown or in very sheltered positions. So in my client work, an overwhelming problem that I have been asked about is kids under the age of four who are struggling in organized sports. Parents are seeing just lots of resistance. Kids don't want to go. They get there. They don't want to participate. They have to sit on the sidelines. And of course, the big thing that comes up is that you've paid for X amount of lessons as it usually goes. So people come to me and say, how do I get the kid to participate? <laughs> and it is my very strong personal and professional opinion that children under five shouldn't take part in organized sports. Maybe five, but definitely not four and under. Unless the child explicitly asks for it, really seems interested, has shown great interest, and wants to participate. You know, in that case, I think it's okay. And I often use the example, you guys have heard this many times about Pascal. He was a natural baseball player, and he could hit a ball thrown at him at 18 months. And he could not, I mean, he was chomping at the bit to get into t-ball. He also was like, a little fanatical. I had to take him out of T-ball because he was a little too much for everybody. I mean, he did one year and he was supposed to do two. And I said, no, you can't go back because <laughs> he wanted a ref. Like he was too into it. He knew baseball and the other kids were like just starting out. So he was like that obnoxious kid. So he explicitly asked for it. I arranged it for him, even though I hated baseball and didn't know that I was setting myself up for a, a lifetime of baseball. But um, unless the child asks for it, 
there's no rush here for the organized sports. Yes, some kids can handle it. Some kids want it. Some kids do great, but most don't. I'm just working with a lot of clients on this one, and we're trying to find solutions because I get that you want your kid in something. And we're going to talk about that. This whole podcast is going to be talking more about that. But one of the big solutions for your kid, if they're under four and they're super resisting these classes, team sports, organized sports, yeah, is to try to find a one-off version. So I would say, I think it's really hard when you go to these classes and they have the expectation that your child's going to show up every time and be on par and on point and have a good attitude at this age. For example, in our local league, our T-ball, we only charge $30 and we stack the teams with like 12 kids because we knew by the end of the season, no one was showing up. We knew the kids would fall off. We knew they would lose interest. Out of 40 T-ball players, you'd maybe have three left at the end of the season. We had to cover some costs, but we weren't making it impossible. But I know like, I know for martial arts studios, for dance, for gymnastics, I think those are the big ones really for the little guys. There's places that insist on the commitment, right? Because their business model, like they can't handle kids floating in and out. So they make you commit for three months or something. But then this puts an added pressure. So if your kid is falling out, if your kid hates it, if your kid won't wear the uniform, if it's a struggle every single time, it's really hard for you to back out because you've already done this financial commitment. So what I would encourage you is, and every community is different. I can only speak to my community and my community. I live in Rhode Island, guys. We don't have like a shit ton of We're a very small state and not a child-friendly state. So (laughs) I encourage you to look within your community because if I can find them in mine, I'm pretty sure you can find them in yours. But, you know, try to find those places that have like sort of maybe an open gym night or afternoon, or they allow you to have, um, you know, like five classes or a trial period or just one-offs. Like you can pay as you go. And again, I know that's not necessarily common, but I think you can find it. And I think... It will really help if the child doesn't have to go every week. That's one thing that that sort of commitment. And if you never know, your kid could like legit hate it. And I'm sorry, but to work on grit and resiliency and go to something you hate at age three and a half or four, that's not really cool. That's not really the point of childhood. So that is one solution. But another solution is going back to your why. Okay. And we had talked about this in my podcast with Stephanie Sotelo. So you could go back and listen to that because it's, it's a really important thing is what is your why? Why do you have your kid in an organized sport and figuring that out first? Because I think there are some really common things that come up. I was talking to my friend Tina and it was really funny because I was really just kind of, I don't understand this. I don't understand how organized sports at three and a half, four years old is, is such a thing. It's such a big deal. I'd say it's organized sports, dance, gymnastics, and any martial arts. So karate, taekwondo, any of those. So those seem to be the super organized sports. And I, I know that like martial arts isn't necessarily a team sport, but it's very rigid. You know, there's instruction and your child has to like behave and be still when they're asked to be still and they're and asked to do things. And so I was talking to my friend Tina and we were saying this wasn't a thing. It wasn't even a thing when Pascal was little. And like I said, our baseball, and I don't know if it's changed, you know, he's 16 now, but like it was accepted that kids wouldn't come every time. It was accepted that kids that little have no focus, no 
no attention. And what was always abundantly clear to me as a t-ball coach is that parents put their kids in this without the kid asking, without the kid wanting. A couple of the little girls were like, I don't want to do baseball. And the parents like, suck it up. You're doing baseball. I'm not sure we need that for our three and four-year-olds, you guys. In fact, I'm certain we don't need that. But anyway, Tina and I, my friend, we started to discuss and dissect why. Why is this a thing? Like, why suddenly is it a thing? And so I want to share, like, basically a couple of days worth of conversation that we had because I really think this is the heart of so many things. Going back to the kids under five, so we'll kind of break this up into age groups. We'll break it up into five and then over five and sort of like preteen tweens. Yeah, I think that's like eight, nine, 10, that kind of thing. So what's your why about having a young child in sports? And I think for a lot of parents, it really is about, I need their energy. They have too much energy. I need their energy released. The biggest issue there though, is that team sports don't usually provide that. There's too much structure. Like if your kid needs an energy release, other than team sports, you are a thousand percent better off at a playground. Unbelievably. So I think that's one huge why. I think another big why is socialization. And again, you know, people say, oh, you know, he wants to be with his friends. He wants to be like this. It's like when people ask me about socialization with homeschool, like, yeah, I get that at school they're with other kids, but they're not socializing the whole time, you know? And so the socialization of team sports, yeah, they're with their buds, but they have to pay attention. It's not play. They don't get to just play. So again, it'd be far better to get a little group together to play on the playground. And that would do the energy release and the socialization, but sort of a free socialization. Like your child doesn't always know how to socialize within the context of a structured environment. You know, you might get stuck with a shitty coach who's like, I told you to be quiet. Like three or four or five. They don't know that. They haven't even been in school yet. So team sports aren't a great option for that. And again, if you can find open gyms or I've always loved ninja gyms or parkour gyms, they just seem to get the energy out, but also provide a really good opportunity for the kids to work together and to have more social interaction. And then I have worked with parents who believe in there's a certain amount of training that they want their kid and discipline and, you know, this grit and resiliency and determination. Under five, listen, Training in any sport, you're in a danger zone. If you want your child to be trained because you fantasize them being a baseball player or a golfer or whatever, but you think they've got some talent, unless you have legit a little Tiger Woods, training at this age is utterly useless. They're most likely going to move on, change interests, or totally get burnout. If you really want your kid to play baseball, honestly, don't start them at that age because they will burn out. They will get repetitive injuries. All the great players, all the great players started baseball at 12. And they usually started it like in the Dominican or someplace where they had a tin can and a stick. So the idea of like, you know, taking these kids and cultivating them, you can't cultivate prodigy. And there are prodigies. There are kids who will be interested and be prodigies. But largely speaking, you won't know it at this age. And not that you won't know it. You'll know it if you see it at this age. And it was so funny. I was scrolling Instagram the other day and I saw this, I forget her name, but she's a a Russian dancer. She's six years old. And if you saw this kid, it's unbelievable. Like just watching her with the other dancers, her age and even four years older, like this kid clearly has skill and talent beyond the beyond. They also, I kind of scroll through her page and, you know, shows her training and she's laughing and smiling and having a great time. She looks healthy. 
Her face looks glowing. Like, okay, that's a prodigy. That kid has that talent. You can't force that talent into a kid. So just be aware of that. There's so much into parenting that we, I think we forget or we don't realize we're doing, or we think like, look, my kid was hitting a baseball at 18 months. Everybody was like, get him on the tonight show. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I've got something here, you know, should I cultivate this? And he loved baseball, loved it, loved it, loved it. And abruptly, once we moved to where we are in the woods, he was like, no, I wanted to play with my friends. And I've been told repeatedly that he had super duper talent he lost interest. He lost interest and took on other interests. And so that happens too. So don't put all your eggs in one training basket, particularly at this younger age. But I think what is fascinating, I think it's really worth dissecting because I know most of your kids are toddler age, but a lot of you have written to me like, hey, I got a six or seven-year-old. Hey, I got an eight now. You know, I've been following you for a long time. Like your kids are aging out of my toddler stuff. So I really wanted to unpack this because this is the bulk of, I think, what's kind of like wrong with everything right now. So anyway, Tina and I were unpacking all the whys. And it not only plays into my whole opinion that kids are way overscheduled and kept way too busy, but as they get older, this really starts to deteriorate mental health. And I'm so angry after the school shooting in Texas. And I'm so angry at Facebook and Instagram and like the whole, everybody check in on, check in on your strong friends. They may not be okay. That's not the solution to mental illness, you guys. The solution to mental illness is look at the fucking root cause. And how are we stressing kids out? Do you know this? the teen suicide ideation rate is over 50%. Over 50% of our teenage population in the United States is thinking about suicide. That is fucked up. Now, yes, the pandemic had something to do with it for sure. But before that, it was 40%. So we're like in dire straits. And why aren't we looking at this? So when it comes to actual mental health, to the things that we could do to really help mental health, nobody wants to hear it. And so it's like so irritating to me. Listen, if we have too much activity, so I'm going to kind of move on past the five-year-old age because I have more to say about middle school and than teenagehood, but if there's too much activity, if we don't have downtime, especially if it's taxing competitive things that leaves you on this endless treadmill fighting to be good enough, if not great at something, it deteriorates mental health. It deteriorates the family unit. It deteriorates mealtime. Kids are pulled in so many directions that nobody's sitting down to dinner anymore. Kids are eating in the car. We've got kids eight, nine years old staying up till midnight because they got back from their activities and now they have to do homework. This is crazy and it's fucking scary. So it's not just like I can keep saying like, oh, don't overschedule your kids. But if we keep throwing them into these high pressure situations... Listen, even camps these days are super focused, right? Like you have to go to like space camp or music camp. Like you don't go to camp where you canoe, learn goofy songs around the campfire, maybe have your first kiss, do hemp bracelets. Like whatever happened to those camps? No, the camps are like super structured, super high pressured, right? It's crazy. So yes, we claim mental health and health, mental health awareness and that we don't give them a break at all. Anyway, let's go back to the whys. I know I'm a little circular here because I'm like infuriated, but <laughs> I did take notes to keep myself on track. The whys with the older kids. 
or in general, right? And I think this does also apply to toddlers, right? But the funny thing is, is Tina's oldest child was going into middle school and they had this orientation where you got to like familiarize yourself not only with the school, but what clubs are being offered and after school activities. And the principal was like very hopped up saying like, get them involved in everything. Exposure is so important. You know, join all the clubs. So Tina was like worked up. She's worked really hard at keeping her kids' activities level. Like at one point, her younger son had an option to take violin, but it would cut into recess. And she was like, no, no, you take your full recess. And, you know, the little boy was like, okay, great, because that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) She's made a really conscious effort to like keep her kids' activities level. They each get one or two things, but, you know, they generally are not going from thing to thing to thing. So she told her middle schooler, soon to be middle schooler, that she would have to choose. She'd have to choose an activity. And meanwhile, I have another friend who was like, oh, my kids are going to do all the things. Here's the thing about this other friend. Her kid does do all the things. And this kid is strung out. She's tired. She has bags under her eyes. She has trouble sleeping because she's up too late with schoolwork after the activities. And now she's going to dive into middle school, middle school with more on her plate. Like, this is crazy. This kid is 10. She had done a 5K, trained uh, with Girls on the Run to do a 5K. She had done the science fair and the big science presentation. She plays an instrument, had to perform that. There was art. There was some sort of art show. Guys, exposure is one thing, but burying a kid is another. So some signs that you may be overdoing it, you know, definitely with a toddler, you're going to see tantrums. One of the biggest things about a couple months into the pandemic, client after client after client told me, I don't know. It's like she's happy staying home. It's the weirdest thing. I had more people flat out say, it's almost like she doesn't like being dragged from activity to activity. And I was like, listen to yourself speak. Yes, you are dragging her from activity to activity. And it was one of the beautiful things about the pandemic, even though it was the thing that sucked the most is, you know, having to stay home and and be with our kids all day long while trying to work, while trying to manage the anxiety of a global pandemic. But for the kids, it was amazing. So if your child, if you can't get them in the car, they're falling asleep in the car all the time. If you're eating in the car all the time, stop and make better choices. I'm just going to say that flat out. I'm not even going to be nice about it. A 10-year-old, you know, a middle schooler, a tween, a preteen won't tantrum. Typically, although I have seen it, they won't tantrum. But what other signs are that they may be overly grumpy, huge appetite changes. I'm hearing this a lot from friends, seeing appetite changes in their kids, sleep problems. Ten-year-olds really still should be going to bed at 8.39. They shouldn't be up late doing homework, right? So these are some things to look for. And generally speaking, I would also say, like, if you just feel pulled in eight other directions, Again, is that what you want for your life? Might be time to reevaluate. So as we were talking, I said, you know, God, where did this all start? You know, in my day, we did one thing. So I I do the thing that I always do, which is I sort of start reverse engineering it because I'm like, okay, back in my day, and I don't think I'm being all boomer-ish, you did one thing. The kids in band were the band kids. The theater kids were the theater kids. The sports kids were the sports kids. We didn't have 
like super duper, I don't know, like robotics clubs or something, but the nerds were the nerds and sat around and learned Latin. I don't know. We only did one thing and it kept us plenty busy. I mean, I did theater and I, you know, I had rehearsal all the time, but I didn't attempt to do theater and sports. That's the weirdest thing. So I think what's happening is there's just too many things that were expected. So Tina and I were talking and we started to like super break it down. I I just thought it was so many things because at first I felt a little judgy because I was like, stop over scheduling your kids just like flat out. And then I was like, all right, why is this happening? Why are we putting kids in sports, three and a half year olds in sports? Why are we making 10 year olds, you know, get quote unquote exposed to everything? And so I've really broken this down. I'm going to give you the list and then I'm going to give you some potential solutions. Number one, college. The college nonsense has gotten out of control. And what has happened is college itself, the prices have gotten out of control. And there's economic breakdowns of how this happened. And largely it's because you can't dissolve that loan in bankruptcy. So the government started subsidizing loans and it started to be like, okay, if parents are going to pay $20,000 a year, they would also pay $40,000 a year. So some even like middle of the road colleges are ridiculous, are $50,000, $60,000 a year. So of course, parents are looking at Number one, competitively getting into college, but also potential scholarships. The sports scholarships are so few and far between. Again, you would know it if you have it. So I think what started to happen is like we know that a college application, your extracurriculars, you know, if everybody's scoring well on their SATs and their grades are great, how do you distinguish another student, you know, from another? And so the extracurriculars come into play. What's happened, though, is most so people have done a similar thing of reverse engineering it. And they're like, okay, well, if my kid needs to be here in high school, then I should start him here when he's three. Yeah. So I think a lot of that focus, it's unbelievable how much focus I hear about college in elementary school. In fact, when I pulled out Pascal to homeschool, people said, what about college? And I was like, he's in first grade. I have a little wiggle room to figure this out. So if you find yourself saying for any kid before high school, college, 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 wrong thinking, just wrong thinking. You're way future tripping and just stop it. (laughs) I also think we have this notion of well-rounded and well-rounded sucks. Nobody's well-rounded. Like I might be the most well-rounded person I know, but I'm not (laughs) well-rounded. There's so many things I don't know. I don't care to know. So I think this notion of being well-rounded leads us to put our kids into like a whole bunch of things that maybe they don't want to, or we just don't, we only have so much time. Yeah. The second thing is there's thinking that things need to be learned at a young age, like windows of opportunity. We've heard that about language. Yeah. So Tina actually had this funny story about an instrument and that she didn't care about learning an instrument. Like she didn't, she didn't have time for it. It wasn't part of her life. And then in college, she was like, geez, I really want to play guitar. I'll play guitar. That's cool. And she picked it up and she could play some real, you know, some great rock songs and she loved it. So the idea that we have to be like really good at things and start to learn them at a young age is it's also a little bullshitty. Number three, and I think this is probably the biggest reason people put their kids in organized things, is you want to keep them busy because of digital use. If I don't have them enrolled in something, all they'll do is beg me for the iPad. 
I'm going to be really strict about this. Oh, and there's number four, which is not wanting to deal with complaints about boredom. Oh, you know, if I don't put them in things, they just walk around being bored. Guys, that's parenting. Yeah. If your kid's going to bitch about being on the iPad, you take the iPad away, period. If your kid's going to bitch about being bored, let them bitch about being bored till they find something that interests them instead of you coming in and saying, oh, don't be bored. I'll put you in something that will just keep you busy. Yeah. And again, if a kid's like super passionate, go for it. But even passionate kids can't do five things at once, you know, or do five things in a week. And I used to get so angry because I would have those kids when I coached baseball in the later years. I would have those kids who were trying to do, you know, their parents had them enrolled in everything. And these kids would show up to practice late and they would ask to leave early. And then they would ask for specialized things during practice because of their time constraints. So I might do batting practice first. And of course, everybody loves batting practice. And they'd show up a half hour late and they'd be like, coach, I I need some batting practice. You missed it. And so these kids, I saw them eating dinner in the car. I saw the doc circles under their eyes. And I also saw them not being team players, which is the reason to play team sports, you guys, even at high levels. So how are you a team player? If you're late, you leave early and you want specialized stuff. So this backup rarely works schedule-wise either for all the things. You're asking your team to do something different just for you. And that's not, that's not what team sports is about. Yeah. I can't state this enough. If your kid has such a focus on digital that digital takes over, you have to get rid of it. And you know me, I'm the biggest, like, I don't think tech is killing our kids, but if you're keeping them running ragged because you're afraid of them bitching about the iPad or about their video game, then that's something you guys have to figure out in your household. Yeah. Not just put a bandaid over it by keeping them out of the house. That's not cool. Number five, I think this also is one of the biggest components, especially like with my generation versus probably your generation of parenting, where I do think I can sound a little boomer-ish, is we don't really have neighborhood kids anymore. So when I was a kid, that's all you did. You went outside and played. There were 80,000 kids on the street. You played till the streetlights came on. Your ma yelled for you to come home. Like it was anybody could swat your butt, right? So there was that. I think that is the biggest, you know, when you hear people bitching about, Oh, it's kids today. They're on their iPads. Well, I just went out and played. And it's like, yeah, but nobody plays outside anymore. So then what happens is a lot of kids get put. If every other kid in your neighborhood's in an organized sport and your kid's not, it's almost like you kind of have to put your kid in the organized sport because those neighborhood kids rarely exist. I know it does in some pockets of the of the U.S., but not much. <laughs> Number six is apartment living, like having no neighborhood of kids again, kind of stuck in an apartment, not easy to get out, not easy to just walk out the front door and find friends. So that is a big thing taking into consideration. Number seven is most single kids. Back in my day, single kids were really, really rare, you know, and now with the cost of living, with making, you know, maybe different environmental choices, whatever your reason is. For me, I just didn't want to be outnumbered. <laughs> but we have single kids, right? And so how are they going to find friends? And sometimes it's single kids and you live in an apartment. So you've got like combined like struggle with socialization plus, you know, a living arrangements that doesn't allow for a lot of freedom plus you don't want to be your kid's playmate all day long. And that sometimes happens when you have just one kid. Number eight is, I call it fractured relationships. So I see a lot of times people who just don't like their kids, right? And they don't enjoy them. They don't want to spend time with them. 
And number one thing when I talk about homeschooling is people will say, I could never homeschool. All I do is fight with my kid. And it makes me really sad because I say, don't you want to fix that? Wouldn't you like the grace of having all day to fix that relationship with your kid? If all you're doing is fighting, I just, I can't imagine that. And I don't mean that in a judgy way. It really, really makes me sad. And so if you feel like you can't deal with your own kid, please get help, right? Because especially at a young age, if you feel like you're putting them in activities, if you need a break, that's something else, yeah? But if you really don't like your kid, because that's the other thing that Tina was telling me is that she said, you know, she really has put the kibosh on a, a ton of activities because her kids go to school. She only has so much time with them. If they're in back-to-back activities, she's like, I don't want them to get home and say goodnight to them and that be that. And I was like, yes, I think a lot of us haven't learned to be with our kids, right? And I know we were forced into it in the pandemic, but the situation wasn't the same. It was such a forced situation in which we had to work and things like that. Number nine is working overworking parents. 100%. This is big. You know, both parents work, then the child has to be in like maybe aftercare or some sort of after school activity, just mostly, you know, for number 10, which is childcare and needing the child to be you know, taken care of. That sometimes is for the older kids. For the toddlers, though, like that's not really the case because that applies to like after school stuff. But if your kid's already in an aftercare program, they've been in school all day, they're in an aftercare program of some sort, and you pick them up to bring them to a structured, organized sport. Ugh, guys, that's setting the child up for exhaustion. They need to go home. They need to chill. They need connection time. I don't care if they're three or 13, they need connection time with you. So, Be cautious of that scenario. You know, if you guys have to have your kid in an aftercare program, you know, organized sports or team activities may not be for you right now. And you can tell your child, "Uh uh-uh, I love you and I only get you for a few more years. No, you're coming home and we're reading and, you know, I'll help you do your homework and you can help me cook dinner. You can force feed them the connection and they will feel it. They may resist it, but they will feel it and they will know your love. And like I said, number 10 is childcare. So a lot of times we are, we're stuck in a position Again, especially in the school age kids where we need childcare. So I wanted to kind of run through those, even though I talked a bit about them as I went, I kind of wanted to go through and offer some solutions because, you know, this whole thing, like I said, I had started off being kind of judgy about things. And there are some of these that I am judgy about, but I think also sometimes we get stuck in our own heads and we can't imagine solutions. And I know one of the things that when I work with clients, a resounding echo, whether it's potty training, parenting, you know, don't you have a friend who can watch the baby for a couple hours? And they're like, no, I have no village. I'm not with any family. We don't have anything around us. And so I want to help you guys get a little creative. You got to create the village. You got to create the village. And you have to start asking for shit, even if you're uncomfortable. One of the things about single moms like me, and I've always been single, so I'm not divorced. I don't get a break. I don't have part-time custody, is we are really fucking good at community because we know we have no illusion of help. We're pretty brutal about asking for help and about creating community for our kids because we don't have that break and we need that break. 
you have to get good at asking. And just like I talked about in the episode about like getting really good at asking uncomfortable questions like, hey, do you have any guns in your house? Right. Like that can feel uncomfortable and intrusive, but so can like, hey, I work on Thursdays. Is there any way we could trade some childcare? Is there any way we could, or, you know, hey, could you pick my daughter up from baseball and can she stay at your house for like just an hour while I finish up and I'll come and get her and I'll, you know, whatever. I was going to say, I'll bring you dinner, but it's funny because as Tina and I were talking through this, we started to think about, could we start to rely on each other without bringing cookies, without offering a meal, without like offering a favor in return, except I'll be here next time you need me, you know, but you have to get good. Some random things that came up was why we're not good at asking is, believe it or not, so many people have feared their messy house. I've literally heard people say, your daughter could come over, but not today. My house is such a mess. Mm, Your child doesn't care. My child doesn't care what your house looks like. And I don't care what your house looks like. I really don't. Like if you're going to let my son stay at your house for a couple hours and just hang with your kids, I don't really fucking care what your house looks like. And none of us do, right? So when somebody says that, it's like, it's crazy. So kind of running through the list, like, like I said about the college thing, just stop, stop thinking your child's behind, stop thinking your child needs enrichment, especially, especially like under the age of 10, you know, maybe edging into like preteen they might, but we just, we have to get out of this, like this idea that our kids have to do everything for some future self. As for activities, I think the actual activity makes a difference. And I've been saying team sports sort of relentlessly. And again, I go back to dance, gymnastics, baseball, basketball, soccer, any team sport and martial arts, anything structured a couple of times a week. You know, there's one instructor. You must do it how the instructor says. Remember, your kids have been in school all day. They've already had to sit and stand and do exactly what somebody told them all day long. And now they have to do it again. So I don't care how much energy they release. I don't care how tired they get. It's still not the same. So an idea that if you do want, you know, you need the socialization or you even need a break, there are rec versions of sports. And I love rec versions. They have a league, but it's a rough league. And you're not going to get yelled at if you you miss a couple of times. Usually there's no tournaments or if they are, they're super loosey-goosey. And so these rec versions are just super fun versions of sports. And typically what happens in this day and age is they tend to be the, they tend to be the kids who are less skilled, who probably can't play on the the structured teams because for whatever reason, they're not very good at it, but they want to play. Pascal did a year of rec soccer, loved it. It was perfect. He had fun. And then he was like, no, I'm good. So it was really, really, really cool. Clubs. There are clubs. They may be clubs at your library. They may be clubs at your community center. You could even start a club at your house. One thing that comes to mind is Lego. Lego clubs are usually like not structured. There's a Lego version. It's like a robotics meets Lego and that's teamed and there's tournaments. So there's that. But literally we had Lego clubs all over the state where it was just bins and bins of Legos and the kids got together and and built stuff and fought about what they built. (laughs) Things like instruments. For me and my value system, an instrument was something I insisted on. That was really the only thing I insisted upon was one instrument. However, I always made sure that I had 
a casual arrangement. And even now, Pascal is now playing guitar. And I made sure I had a teacher that we could have a casual arrangement where like the morning of I can cancel, the morning of he can cancel, and I'm not charged, no hard feelings. Because again, it's that like sign up and start getting screwed for money that makes you force your kid to go, even if they've got a cold or they feel like they need a mental health day. You're like, I fucking paid for this lesson. You have to go. So I wanted to eliminate that pressure. But the thing about instruments is if you don't feel very, very strongly about it, which a lot of parents do. And the reason I felt strongly about it is because Pascal was showing himself to have a mathematical mind and music stretches your mathematical mind in in sort of a different direction. So I wanted to like support that. And I just, as a musician myself, I really valued the inherent lessons in an instrument. But if it's not that important to you, and it doesn't have to be, that's my value system, get an instrument, get them drums, get them a ukulele, get them a guitar and let them tinker, especially the older kids. Like I wouldn't say this for a younger kid because they're just, they won't give you music lessons usually until the kid's like seven or eight because they're just too little. You can have it around your house, but I wouldn't have great expectations. Again, you may have a prodigy. You'd know that. You'd know if you have a little Mozart. <laughs> but um, for the, the teens and the tweens, you could just get the instrument and let them, let them find it. If they're really into it, they'll find it on YouTube. They'll find an app. They'll ask you for the app. You'll hear them practicing. They will take joy in it. And then maybe you can go for the formal lessons. But before you rope yourself in, again, if the name of the game is exposure, exposure doesn't mean lessons. Exposure means exposure, expose them to it. They may pick up a ukulele and decide that, you know, hey, do you think I could try a flute? You can always go rent a flute. And that's the other thing. What are you looking for here? Is it exposure? Could it just be fun? Do they have to really learn more? You know, I love theater because to me, it was just the wackiest people and theater club while we would do shows. That was super fun. But then we kind of just dick around. There wasn't like, I didn't want any science club. I didn't want to be a math club. I can't even imagine anything more boring. (laughs) But the math kids loved math club because they were good at math and that relaxed them. So again, going back to that, like, what is your kid naturally good at? What does your kid naturally want to do? It's okay to go in that direction. Another kind of solution question is, can they just hang out? Is the need that's being met in some sort of formal arrangement structured arrangement, could that need be met by just hanging out? And so Tina and I were talking about, our moms were just really good at this. They were just like really, really good at asking. And we would always be at somebody else's house. It was not any big thing to go home with another parent, have a snack with them. My mom would pick us up later. And so that's kind of a thing of like yesteryear that I think we can bring back really easily. And it takes some courage. Like I said, it takes some courage to ask and to be brave and to start these things. And you may have to be the mom to start it, to get the ball rolling. But this is the village, you guys. So when we all bitch about not having the village, sometimes it's creating the village. Oh, you know what else we were talking about? We were all, we were talking about like tap your community. Did you make really good friends with your librarian? Do they have some sort of aftercare program? Do they have a place where your kids can hang out and just do art or make bracelets or read together? Because a lot of libraries are stepping up as community centers right now. And they're really, really awesome. We also were talking about like when I was growing up, there was this neighbor, Mrs. Willie, and she would have us over to bake cookies. And so my mom, she like kept an eye on us. And it was funny because we didn't go to her house. She was literally right next door. She'd look out the window. She'd catch us fight and she'd be like, hey, cut it out. Come on in. Let's bake cookies. So she was like kind of like a mother's helper. 
So you could tap some of the older people on your street in your community. Maybe one of them would like to teach the kids how to knit or to sew or do a craft with them. To me, that's what the another really beautiful thing about the pandemic was, is like getting back to like a local community, like how can we help each other in our direct community be that village? Now, as far as the single... You know, single kid, apartment living, working, overworking. I think at some point you really have to reevaluate your life and you have to look at everybody's health and you have to look at everybody's mental health and you have to make hard decisions. And I know I'll get kickback for this because I know people, no, some people can't leave. Some people can't move. And you can. Everything we do is a choice. And I left a very lucrative job in San Francisco in a rent control apartment from 1990 in San Francisco, which is rare. And I left that because I knew I needed the community of my family here in Rhode Island. And I don't think I'm a badass. I don't think I'm great. It was a terrifying move giving up this apartment in San Francisco. The market value was 7,000. We were paying 1,100 with rent control. I knew I'd never be able to go back. I didn't know what job was waiting for me in, in Rhode Island. And again, I don't think I'm a badass. I made a choice. I made a really hard choice. And I also didn't ever want, I mean, come on, I lived in San Francisco. Who wants to move from San Francisco to Rhode Island? That's not, it's so uncool. (laughs) But I made the hard choice because I knew for my mental health and for Pascal growing up, this is where I wanted to be where my village was at. And I understand that a lot of people can't go back to their family, toxic relationships, but you can make changes. If you are both working and all your money is going to daycare, you can make changes. And again, I'm not blaming. I'm not judging. I'm just saying it's your life. If you're exhausted, if your kid is showing signs of exhaustion, if you feel like you're on a treadmill that just won't stop, sit back and see what you want to change. I can't tell you to move. I can't tell you to not put your kids in activities because you have to. But I do think that we all underestimate mental health. And I think we underestimate happiness. I think we just underestimate just simple joy in life. You know, we get so caught up in what we should, what we have to, what needs to get done. Are we keeping up? Is my kid falling behind? It goes, again, back to the fractured relationship, too. If if you're putting your kid in a ton of activities because you have no idea what to do with them, no idea how to handle them. You don't enjoy spending time and you want to minimize your time with them as much as possible. There are parents who really enjoy that. Kids gone all day, aftercare, sports, get home, barely say a word. Kid goes to the room, does homework, goes to bed, rinse, lather, repeat. I don't want that life. But if, you know, if you do, have at it. I I tend to think you're not my audience. But anyway, these are things, these are hard things. These are hard things that I have to look and go, fuck, I really can't stand my kid right now. It's worth figuring that out. Yeah. And we all go through seasons. I hated the first year. I hated toddler. I hated the screaming. I hated the like, why can't you just tell me what you need? Why do we have to have a meltdown and a screeching? Yeah. I love teenage years. I love the bigger problems. I love the bumps in the road are different. I love staying connected to Pascal. So there are definitely seasons, don't get me wrong, but if you know you're going through a season, that's okay. If you really don't get along with your kid and you don't know how to deal, reach out to me. Let's get some help. Let's (laughs) reevaluate. All right, you guys, I hope that was helpful. 
Tina and I just broke this down like for days and we were like, but wait, oh, wait, we know it's working moms. Oh, wait, oh, it's childcare. So it was really fun dissecting this and really figuring out, like I said a couple of times coming into the conversation, I was like, why can't parents just slow the fuck down? And then I was like, oh, because there's all these other things. <laughs> so anyway, as always, I appreciate you. I appreciate your patronage and rock on. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.